Apostates Anonymous, the show you turn to when you're no longer an evangelical, with your hosts, hosts, authors Keith Giles and Matthew J. DiStefano. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, Keith, 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 motherfucking Giles to Apostates Anonymous. <laughs> welcome to all of our listeners. We hope you made it through the last episode. Two men talking about abortion. Mm, yes. And uh, we're going to keep it light today and talk about race relations, replacement theory. Mass um, murder. Uh, ma- yeah. <laughs> Jesus Things like that. Christ. Yeah. Just How are you? How are you? Fun. Yeah. This is, and again, did I mention this is the podcast that I do that's the most fun? So, uh, <laughs> right, yeah, this is the most fun we've ever had on the air. Yeah, you know, it's it's so fun to talk about these things. Yeah. Well, but you know what? <clears throat> the other thing about apostates is that, um, I mean, you know, Heretic Happy Hour, we're recording way out in advance, you know, most of the right. time. Well, sometimes yeah. a month or more in advance of something. So right. uh, apostates is much more nimble, right? We something can happen in the news, and we can record an episode about it like the same day or the next day, right? And, it, and it'll and it'll publish, you know, it'll it'll go live in a couple of days after that. So it's sort of like this is the perfect time to at least, if we want to have anything where we respond to something a little more current in the news, things people are thinking about, or you know, I, I think apostates is the best place for that. Yeah, I think um, it's a good balance to have, like he- heretic happy hour is a resource that is evergreen. So if someone has a question, hey, what about this? We could be like, oh, in episode 74, we talked about this or whatever. Yeah, this is more on the fly like, this motherfucker said this, we better respond. Or this shit went down, we better respond. Yes, So it's uh, it's a good balance to have, I think. Right. And then, um, Heretic Happy Hour, we've, we've, we've talked about, you know, more social kind of topics before. Yeah. Um, but, but for the most part, I mean, at least the genesis of that podcast was more about theology, deconstruction, you know, questions people have about Christianity or religion or faith or things like that. So, yeah. um, that, that's more of the, that's more of the broader, broader topic of Heretic Happy Hour that we cover on uh, my second cup podcast. That's again, more like targeted specific sort of things about the Bible or scripture or right. questions people have about something. So, and this is just a free for all. This is just kind of like, what do we want to do today? Wow. Yeah. So yeah, this is a, a timely topic. Um, we were trying to decide what to talk, talk about. And I think if uh, if that shooting had not happened in Buffalo, we probably would have done another Alyssa Childers uh, reaction video, which, so I don't know if that's good or bad that we're saving you from that uh, or that, well, or that we st- come later. We still have to do that. We do. Um, oh my gosh. She continually turns out crap, like on like a machine. Yeah. Um, it's almost yeah, but, like it's almost like she makes money doing what she's it's doing. It's like, that much yes, time. Exactly. <laughs> there's, there's there's a new industry on demonizing yeah. progressive and yeah. Christianity. Yeah. Well, well, it's funny because like there's those of us like myself. It's like I can't keep up because deconstruction is not popular enough for me to make a full living. I got three jobs, Elisa. You need to slow the fuck down. I can't keep up. Right. You know, oh I have goodness. to make money on responding to you making money on responding to a movement. So right, come on exactly. Now. Yep. Uh, well, before we get into the fun of um, talking about um, I, the fall of capitalism, the fall of America, the um, um, let's yeah. <laughs> let's talk. Um, let's talk. Let's get a word from our sponsor. And again, a, a lovely shout out to these folks. It fits with last week's um, episode. Mm-hmm. So somehow serendipitously. Our sponsors are really lining up with our uh, our topics, so let's um, let's let's get into it. Now that conservative Christians have finally overturned Roe v. Wade and made safe abortions illegal once again, we still need to consider alternatives to unwanted pregnancy. That's why we recommend Snip Tip. 
the brand new Teenage Vasectomy Kit from Procter & Gamble. For just $19.99, parents can safely and legally perform simple vasectomies on their teenage sons in the comfort of their own homes. With SnipTip, you're guaranteed to ensure that teen pregnancy is a thing of the past, just like your views on women's rights. SnipTip comes complete with sterilizer, medical-grade scalpel, local anesthesia, generous helpings of gauze, and biodegradable thread to close the wound. Order now, and we'll include a free vasectomy reversal kit at no extra charge for when your son finally meets that perfect girl and ties the knot so he's locked and loaded just in time for his wedding night. Visit SnipThatPenis.com today and order your Snip Tip home vasectomy kit while supplies last. Wow, you I know didn't. what? I, I just got to say, we uh, we continue to attract quality sponsors. I don't know uh, where these fucking people come from. We get a new, like every episode, there's a every new episode. spot. They're lined it's like, up. It's like Heretic Happy Hour has been going for f- almost five years now, and it's pretty popular compared to this show. Yeah. And we, we can't, can't get, get sponsors. We can't get but sponsors. But every week, we have a new sponsor on this show, and it's like, I never heard of snipyourdick.com, but I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think those scissors were ever going to stop. Uh, how much snipping are we doing? And the price, I mean, the price, my God, twenty bucks, $19.99 wow. for a kit. And then, you know, you get, you get a free gauze, reversal kit. You get a you reversal get a, if you decide yeah. to snip, snap, snip, snap. Um, that's a fantastic deal. So I would just encourage everyone. I didn't even hear a promo code. So I guess it's just $20. $20 uh, yeah, price. it's just that's the regular everyday price. Yeah. Results that's not beautiful. guaranteed. No. <laughs> That's the unfortunate part. At home vasectomy kits, you know. <laughs> you got to be careful. Yes. Kind of a wing and a prayer. Use use the caution, extreme caution. Yeah. So let's um let's get into it. Let's where do you want to start with talking about race? Tucker Carlson, Laura yeah. Ingram, Fox News. What do you want to What do you want to do? Oh Lord. Well, Lord have mercy. Yeah. So it is. It's kind of hard to know where what's the entry point for the topic because, I mean the uh, so this shooting in Buffalo is sort of what kind of raised. I think everybody's consciousness on the level of this whole replacement um, theory that apparently, yes, Tucker Carlson has been talking about his mention now 400 times. I saw um, that over the last several, you know, last last couple of years. Let's define it. What do they mean by that? So as I understand it is a, uh, it is an, it used to be a a fringe theory uh, that people like in the KKK and other white nationalist groups uh, have been talking about for a while. And it's this, uh, if you remember uh, back in the Charleston, uh, I think it was that, right? The protest, there was a, there was a video of these white guys walking and chanting with to- tiki torches. The Jews will not replace us. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So it's this, it's this um, false theory uh, belief that there is some conspiracy being, being, um, spearheaded by Jews. So it's it, oddly, it's an anti-Semitic view, but the Jews are, are masterminding this plan to replace white people with ethnic uh, groups. So um, immigrants coming across the border, Hispanics, but, and black people, uh, you know, indigenous in America here. And um, ultimately, ultimately it's a threat, <clears throat> excuse me, ultimately it's a threat to something that white people want to tell you doesn't exist, which is called white privilege, <laughs> which I find so erotic. <laughs> yeah. It's like what they're talking about is that you are, the white privilege that you deny you have is, uh, is being threatened by these groups of people, but that there's a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. So there's something, you know, they're planning behind the scenes, they're scheming, they're having their secret meetings, and their ultimate goal is to replace white people, to take away white uh, privilege and power in American society and give it, hand it over to black people and Hispanic people and Asian people and things like that. And so in response, right, this, this killer, uh, this shooter drove 200 miles away from his home, targeted a specifically a black supermarket in a black neighborhood and shot and killed with an AR-15. Um, yeah, 10 people, I believe, died. He shot 13 of, and 10 died. Yeah, I thought it was 11, but yeah. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe one died. After that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, so. I think there's like two aspects of it. Some believe that the Jews are are responsible, and some don't have that view. Right. But regard regardless, yeah, there is a um, 
a liberal or democratic conspiracy to, you know, build up their voter base by replacing a white conservative voter base. And I think they're, I mean, obviously, like you said, this used to be fringe. Now it's more mainstream. Yep. And I mean, like all conspiracy theories, like I, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again, then the minute I come up against another conspiracy is how many people involved? Like, doesn't it seem like a huge fucking undertaking to do this? Like, and uh-huh. if you get that many people, inv- I mean, it's just like, I mean, the demographic's certainly changing. Yes. And to me, it's like, it's like all conspiracy theories. Like, it's like we have to have some sort of boogeyman in order to explain why bad things happen. And I'm not saying that the demographic changing is bad, but they do, right? Right. Insecure white people think that this is bad, so they have to have some sort of explanatory power other than it just changes, you know, you know, just just happens to change. Like yeah. demographics change. Yeah. Also, might I remind the people who <laughs> I'm sure none of the people listening to this show adhere to this conspiracy theory. I hope not. But but I hope not. If you do, you can fuck off. I don't want your listenership. But <laughs> um minority groups are not a monolithic voice. And we found that out especially in 2020. Yeah. Latinos in Florida, especially in Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas, voted for Trump at a higher rate than in 2016, right? So yeah. and that was kind of a surprise on Florida. Florida was sort of a, a swing state, right? And um, but the percentages like in Miami, especially like were not as Democratic or voting blue as much as they thought they were. And there was a, a kind of a, a surge in Latino voters uh, towards Trump. Yeah. So these kind of theories kind of fall apart when you actually start looking at the facts, like like any conspiracy theory, really. Yeah. This one just happens to be, you know, imbued in racism. Right. Which then, is yeah. pretty typical for this country. Right. And I, I saw something the other day um, on TV. They were talking about, uh, you know, different different sociological, you know, pe- people have been studying this kind of phenomenon for a while. I mean, and actually, the funny thing is, I mean, this isn't shouldn't be much of a shock. You can trace this, what we're calling replacement theory, back to Adolf Hitler and Mein Kampf, right? It's the same thing. Right. He was yeah. his core teaching his core you know platform was the was built on the idea the way he mobilized germans to rally around him was the idea that the jews were wanting to replace them right to take their power to take their position to take their wealth to take um their jobs um you know and so it, it's the same thing you know you just sort of changed out some of the names and it is here's the thing too is that um one of the ways it's become a little more mainstream and i guess a little more digestible and palatable to more Americans through the, through different media channels, including Tucker is a subtle shift away from, because again, in the, in the, when the KKK or the white nationalists talk about this, they are specifically saying that the threat is um, black people and Hispanic people, you know, meaning those it's a rich race. It's, it's very obviously racially motivated um, rhetoric, but um, there's a slight little shift that has been made to make it more palatable uh, in the media, and that is to not talk about race, but to talk about Republican or, or de- Democrat, to talk about political parties, affiliations. Mm-hmm. And so that way they can still sell and you know pack, repackage and sell this idea by making it, oh, it's Republicans against Democrats. But subtly, you know, well, but it, when we say Democrats, when they say Democrats, what do they mean? Well, they mean but you know, people that typically tend to vote more again, as you said, it's not monolithic, but the perception is right, right, that they right. will that if we get more immigrants in this country, in fact, that's actually one specific thing that I think that was even brought out that uh, one politician recently, uh, last year, her campaign, I can't remember her name, but her campaign um, slogan was basically a built on this idea, her platform was built on this idea that like 11, the Democrats were going to bring 11 million. Uh, you know, Hispanic immigrants from south of the border and then register them to vote and so that they could control Washington. Right. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's always it's so so you you just shift it so that it's a political conversation. You don't make it you don't stand up and go, I hate black people. I hate me- Mexicans or immigrants. Right. Um, you you make it about uh, political affiliation and then it suddenly becomes justified. Well, we can't let the Democrats win. And so therefore we have to uh, support 
politicians that talk this way and, and are selling this, this ideology. Yeah, but here's the danger too, is that the people who listen to these people do hate black and brown folks. Some of them do. Yes, they do. Which circles back to the Buffalo and from what I understand, the El Paso shooting. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And, and you would know about that because you live in El Paso. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, I, I was looking this morning preparing for the show, uh, The Guardian. Wait, you prepare for this show? Only this one. <laughs> uh, yeah, the well, uh, it shows Keith. It thank shows. you, thank you. Uh, the Guardian uh, newspaper is from UK. Uh, did a did a short little thing on uh, replacement, and then so they they had this little interesting some facts. They said since 2011, white replacement theory has been the explicit motivation for over 160 shootings, uh, mm. including uh, there's like they list like five of them. Uh, Norway's Anders Breivik's slaughter of 77 people, including some immigrants in 2011. Dylan Roof's mass murder of black churchgoers in Charleston, South Carolina in 2015. We remember that. Uh, The 218, sorry, the 2018 Tree of Life synagogue killings in Pennsylvania. Uh, The murder of 23 people, again, in in El Paso, Texas, mostly immigrants in 2019. Again, that was a guy, a white guy with an AR-15 who drove, I think, from Dallas area all the way to El Paso. That's like a day's drive, more than a day's drive to get to El Paso just so we could shoot Mexicans. Um, so again, that's politically motivated and, and um, built on this whole idea of replacement theory, right? And then uh, the 2019 massacre at a mosque in Christchurch, New Zealand, where 51 people were killed. And so the Buffalo shooter also drew heavily on, uh, specifically on the the manifesto written by the guy who did the shooting in New Zealand. Uh, in 2019. So these things just keep perpetuating, right? They just keep feeding off each other. It kind of gives, it emboldens people, uh, specifically, it emboldens young white men with (laughs) AR-15s who already are leaning this way to say, hey, yeah, these guys are on to something. This is right. Uh, And they believe in some way that by responding with violence by by killing i think i think some of these guys i think the guy in el paso specifically dylan roof also said that one of their one of their goals well their motivations for doing the shooting was they're also hope hoping to spark some kind of a race war which i think is just ridiculous i i gosh i hope it's ridiculous i i hope we don't get anything like that because i mean that's that that's i guess an interesting thing too is that you know all of these shooters uh, I just I just republished, uh, I reshared a blog I'd written a couple of years ago called The Top 10 Christian Terrorists. And it was an article, heavily researched, tons of links. So you can go and follow the links and see where I got all the, all the information. Like the top 50 Christian mass shooters. And again, most of these quote unquote Christian mass shooters are racially motivated. Um, but but the, that's the, the sad thing too. And the irony of it too is that these... So many of these white male shooters identify as Christian. Some of their shootings uh, are are motivated even by their faith, or at least in their mind and their their twisted understanding of of their faith that this is something you know that God blesses this, and they are on a mission from God to kill you know people of color or gay people or uh, whatever it may be. And so this is a religious issue. This is an issue, unfortunately, that that Christianity has to struggle with and deal with from within. We, we have churches that are repeating this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, they've, mean, gotten, they've gotten so much into the culture wars. They've gotten yes. so much into this, and it has nothing to do with Jesus. No. But I refuse to not call them Christians because I, I want Christianity held accountable for this too because I think for the people who say, oh, these aren't real Christians, I think I get, I get saying that. I understand that. But that kind of lets this theology off the hook. That's I right. Think. I think you're right. I think you're right. Like just the other day, um, people were sharing on Twitter and on Facebook that Greg Locke, right? The, oh this hit, Him ranting and raving, screaming. You can't be a Democrat. <laughs> yeah, you cannot oh be a Democrat God. and vote. You cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat. Democrat. And then he called them demons. And he mm-hmm. ranted and raved for the entire thing, screaming and, and just like, you know, veins bulging, spit flying. He discovered his inner Yosemite <laughs> Sam. Yes. And, and I'm thinking, this is the entire sermon. It's about Democrats or demons. And like that that teaching as well. Again, I grew up, 
you know, that's part of my story. You know, I grew up in El Paso, Texas, uh, was raised in a conservative Christian home, voted straight ticket Republican my whole life, or listened to Rush Limbaugh, owned a bunch of guns, remember the NRA. And now no one, no pastor ever from the pulpit said out loud, hey, you can't be a Democrat and vote Christian because he didn't need to. We all got it. We all knew the underlying message was that, you you know, that was just the, the given. Of course you can't because, you know, Republicans care about the important things like um, the unborn. And we never, ever asked ourselves as Christians uh, the question, well, should followers of Jesus be in favor of funding the world's largest military machine that kills millions of innocent people and drops bombs on innocent homes of people around the world? Like, why should Christians support that? Would, would a Christian support that with their tax dollars? Like, we never asked that question. That was never, you know, we never went that far. But but again, that underlying assumption that you you to be a Christian in America is to be a Republican, that is a core component and ingredient that feeds into this whole replace, white replacement theory. I mean, you can't have one without the other. And how, how are these churches still 501c3s? How are they taxed? I mean, how, how do they not pay taxes? Like, I thought you weren't allowed to get political and still keep your nonprofit status. Yeah, you're not supposed to. And actually, Trump threatened um, during his uh, reign of terror. Uh, he he threatened. You're going to call it that. I was like, he's yes. going to call it a reign of terror. <laughs> yeah, he because uh, I remember he gave a speech to at some Christian, uh, you know, conservative, you know, conference or something like that. Uh, he gave a speech where he basically kind of dangled that out there. That he would that he was considering an executive order to do away with the Johnson Amendment, and the Johnson Amendment is is an amendment put in place to prevent pastors from endorsing specific political uh, candidates. And I thought, damn, if he does that, if he were to do that, you're going to turn churches into like um, super PACs, yep. right? So now you're going to donate money to your church, tax get a tax uh, you know break tax incentive from donating to your church and then your church is going to take that money and support the next Republican candidate. And that would have been legal and free, like no way. But here's the thing though, effectively that is what we have. Mm-hmm. Um, people are, pastors around the country are violating the Johnson amendment. I just saw a documentary. Was it the JES USA documentary? I think it was probably where, where he talked yeah. to, uh, he visited churches where, where, I mean, people talk about like they, he interviewed people attending these churches. I think Greg Locke was one of those churches. It might not have been that documentary, but it was one I would just watch recently. But but there's like churches that are specifically in in the South, in Tennessee, in Kentucky, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, where these churches are forming specifically built around a a MAGA, you know, uh, people wearing red hats, and like if you're and just like Greg Locke is saying, if you're a Democrat, you're not welcome here. And so there are churches, there are Christian churches in America right now and they're growing and thriving they're not like 10 people in a little strip mall somewhere exactly. you know meeting in an, in a coffee shop that's not being used on a saturday evening no no these are huge buildings bringing in hundreds of thousands maybe millions of dollars a year in in funds they're packing the place out with people that believe that biden stole the election they believe that trump is still president they believe that trump is still god's gift to america and and uh and that Christianity somehow is wrapped up in this. So, yeah, we we have a problem. We have a huge problem in America, and it's uh, it's not even just this political problem, or it's not even just a religious problem. I, I I see it primarily, you know, from the perspective of the damage this is doing to Christ, to the message of Jesus, and what Jesus was all about. It's a it's a complete bastardization and corruption of who Jesus was. That's why I wrote Jesus Untangled. Um, but the fruit of it is even more dangerous. Like even if you're an atheist, you don't give a crap about Christianity or Jesus or the Bible or, or any of that. That's fine. But what you should care about is that these people are armed, heavily armed, and are regularly going out and killing people. The threat is not brown people at the border or Muslims, right, with, with, with machine guns. It's white Christian males that they're doing the shootings. They are doing... All of, I mean, the majority of the mass shootings yeah. that have been done in America the last 20 years have been white Christian males. I saw something from the New York Times that had yeah. a little bar graph, and it was predominantly conservative white Christian men yep. who are engaging in the mass shootings. And and I know with like mass shootings, 
that's kind of a misnomer too because i think this one was specifically racially charged though because like i'm not gonna say it was like better that like the sacramento mass shooting right like but it, it why don't it didn't i mean those i think that that was uh black folks shooting at each other right and but that wasn't that wasn't the same motivation as the buffalo thing right so no. you can't i don't think you can lump all mass shootings in together uh all, all are terrible right of when course. lives are lost of course but w- when we're talking about the motivation of these things when it comes to what is racially driven yeah by and large conservative white men yeah and yeah. See, if it were me, if you were pointing to a demographic that I fit into, right? just me personally, I would be like, okay, it's time for me to get really reflective about things. Why <laughs> right. Why are people like me doing this? Instead, though, the folks like Tucker Carlson or, yep. or Ben Shapiro, oh, it's really left who are push- pushing replacement theory. What yep. the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Like that yeah. doesn't that that doesn't doesn't make any sense. It's like I always tend to. It's I, my, my parents have asked me why do you criticize Christianity so much? That's where I come from. That's my context. Right. Let the the let the Muslims who are challenging and deconstructing their faith challenge and deconstruct their faith that they know. Let right. the Jews who are doing the same do the same with their faith. The Buddhists, the Hindus, the Sikhs, the Jains, everyone who is like part of whatever group they're in. If they see that reformation needs to happen or burn the whole shit down needs to happen, right? Critique your own context. And that's why. So it's like, again, if it's like we found out that, you know, progressive Mediterranean bisexual men are really out there, <laughs> like doing a lot of damage to people, I'd have to be like, well, fuck. Why are Spaniard, Italian, Portuguese <laughs> men who happen to be bisexual, why are who are over six foot three, why are they killing so many people? You know, right. instead of, well, no, it's really these short, uh, right. you know, Norwegian men who are doing that. No. no, I mean, look at your own and say, okay, yeah, this is a problem, but they don't want to acknowledge that it's a problem. No, it's a that's a conspiracy, that's a left agenda. They're just no. Yeah. You have you have to be self-critical. Right. And um and gosh, man. Yeah, as as a straight white older male, uh, Christian. You're not male, older, Keith. Well, You're not older. I'm old. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's like, damn, you know. I mean, the thing is, I understand. I do. The, here's the thing. I do understand. Like we just talked about this. Like I, I do understand where it comes from. I was raised in this, so I understand what how, what this way of thinking, what this ideology does breed, and I think. Um, I mean, I can understand it on one level because uh, I remember right right around the time Obama was elected president, he had just been elected president, and Wendy and I were having a conversation about basically this because I saw that as sort of a shifting in this in the in the culture, right, of of power, I guess if you want to say that, or or of influence, I guess. And um, I thought, you know what, what is it? What is this going to do? Because this is only going to, I think, this is only going to continue, right? You're going to see more, um, you know, at that time I was thinking, yeah, it's inevitable. Gay marriage is going to be uh, made legal. You know, uh, we're, I was seeing more more people of color, uh, you know, things like being more accepted and things like this. So I thought, well, what's that going to do to the fragile white male Christian who, who for the longest time has been sitting, you know, at the top of the heap? Uh, when they slowly start seeing, like, oh my gosh, there's a mosque on every street street corner. Oh my gosh, there's like a my, my a taco, kids a taco truck. <laughs> yeah, my my kids' English teachers uh, is gay. Um, you know, and, and this is in school, like you know, or, or like you know, the whole transgender bathroom bullshit. Like it's like, um, so then what what would they do? So you've got a bunch of guns. You think God is on your side? You think God has given you some special you know uh, place in in the culture? And now you slowly see people that you perceive as enemies to the gospel, as you understand it, uh, gay people, transgender people, Muslims, uh, you know, oh, so, and, and be honest, liberals, conservatives, I mean, not, not conservatives, liberals, Democrats. And so th- those are the people, this group of people, the, the, the ultimate them to you is now threatening your place in the world. Um, what, how would you respond? Well, all you have really is that you got a bunch of guns. Um, and so that's probably how you're going to respond is in some violent way. And sadly, over, ever since then, I've slowly seen 
um, you know, those kinds of things happening. And it seems like they're happening more and more that they, you know, again, they're perceiving that this, this is some ultimate threat that they are eventually going to be replaced. And yeah, I, I do see it as an internal problem that if Christians, and but how do you do this, right? Because so many pastors of churches, even if you were a pastor of a church and you personally didn't buy into this, uh, and I've talked to a lot of pastors who are in this boat, the majority of your congregation probably does buy into this, right, mm. on some level. And so, yeah, you're, you're, you might lose your job if you start preaching against this kind of thing. Um, and again, I, I've talked to pastors who have talk, told me exactly that. Like one, one guy told me um, a couple of years ago, he said he started doing in his church, he did a like a two-month-long sermon series where he just went through the Sermon on the Mount. That's all he was doing. Like we're going to follow, the, we're gonna, I'm going to read a, a section of the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to do a ser- sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And he said by like the second week, he had people writing him letters, you know, e- sending him angry emails or grabbing him before he could get to his car in the parking lot and accusing him of like, you're, you're preaching politics on the pulpit. You're being liberal. You're like, no, I'm just talking about Jesus telling us we should love our enemy, take care of the poor. Right. Um, and, and like, that was such a, I mean, the guy t- who was telling me this, he was so shocked. He was like, it's so weird to me that these people are, you know, I guess I, I always thought the people in my church were, first of all, Christians who followed Jesus. But, but lo, lo and behold, when I start only preaching about Jesus, all they can hear is a political message. Uh, they can only, they, they only can filter it through this political lens that, oh, this sounds like liberalism. This sounds like some kind of Democrat, you know, take care of the poor, take care of the, the you know, the, the orphans and the widow and all that stuff. Like this sounds, uh, this sounds like you're a Democrat or something. Well, because so, there's the, most people are spending way more time listening to people like Tucker Carlson and Ben Shapiro yes. than they are um, reading scholarship on the Sermon on the Mount. That's exactly or, right. So they're getting fed over and over and over and over. And it look like the Tucker Carlson's, they're not the ones who are going to go out and do the no. shootings. No, no, not, they don't have to. In, in, in this like analogy, Manson. they are the Joseph Goebbels. Right. Or the Charles Mansons who like, they don't actually do the crime, but they just convince a bunch of, brainwash a whole bunch of other people to go and do the crime. exactly right. And there's, there's responsibility and consequences for your act. Just like, I mean, we never know what impact our words are going to have. Yeah. And like, just look at the Reformation and Martin Luther. I'm sure he did not foresee an Adolf Hitler hundreds of years later, inspired by him to yeah. do what Adolf Hitler did. However, Martin Luther was Adolf Hitler's favorite theologian because of his anti-Semitism. Yes. And so we are responsible for our, uh, our words. And, and, and I'm not going to say like we're 100% responsible. Oh, Martin Luther's responsible for the Holocaust because it's not binary. It's not black and white. Yeah. Um, but there, it, we do bear some responsibility if someone, if we're, you know, Tucker Carlson over 400 times discussing replacement theory and someone starts using the same talking points in his manifesto before he shoots a bunch of right. black people yeah. and a couple of white people, but predominantly yeah. black people, <laughs> then you have to look at that and say you bear some consequence, some responsibility and there should be some consequences for that. Yes. Be- because you're, it's like, it's like if you see a fire and you throw fuel on it, and then you say, "Well, I didn't light the fire." It's like, but you fucking threw fuel on it. Like you, right. you have some responsibility in this thing. Yes, and yes. We, we all should take that to heart. What are we saying right now? That, and I'm not saying we should tiptoe and not speak our truths and things like that. But you know, we have to strike the balance of, well, can what I'm saying be construed to endorse racism or xenophobia or violence or anything like right. that? And choose our words carefully. You know, just because there's this thing called free speech doesn't mean we're free from the consequences of that speech. Right. No, and this is the thing, too. And I'm glad you brought up the thing about, you know, Augustine and his anti-Semitism and Martin Luther and his anti-Semitism. And, um, you know, I was licensed and ordained and grew up pretty much in the Southern Baptist Church. And it was years before I found out that the reason they're called the Southern Baptists is that, yes, the reason why they, they broke away the Baptists broke into Northern and Southern was after the Civil War. Uh, Christians, Baptist, uh, Baptists in the South were on the side of the South, the Confederate States. 
and uh, broke away and formed the Southern Baptists congregation. And that was specifically because they were in favor of slavery and they were against the idea that black people were human beings. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I grow up in this church and become licensed and ordained in a, in a denomination that this was the genesis of where they this is how they got started. And then now to know, to realize now that I'm no longer a Southern Baptist, I go back and I realize like, do you know the Southern, uh, this is true. The Southern Baptist convention, um, as a, as a group, has never officially listed racism as a sin. Um, that's a problem, man. That's a big, big problem. And actually, okay. Southern Baptists are the largest Protestant group of Christians in America. And so, yes, we have a Christianity has a problem with race and it has had a problem with race for a long time, right? If you wanted, you could probably trace it even back to the early Christian church. Um, there was, there was anti-Semitism even in some of the right, like, Hell, I think it's the Gospel of Matthew, right, is the one that's the most sort of anti-Jewish Gospels. And you got to be really careful because a lot of white supremacists have quoted, you know, some Gospel passages um, that are very critical of, of the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees yeah, uh, but, to justify yeah. crimes against Jewish people. Yeah. What they need to realize is that anything in the New Testament is a Jewish critique of Judaism. Exactly. There are no white people in the Bible. Yes. There are, yeah, there are no white people. <laughs> it was so far as I know, everyone, every writer of the New Testament is Jewish, correct? Is I that think true? That, I think? Well, 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 we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, but Right, but we can assume that it was It's someone who seems person. to knew a lot about Judaism. Yeah, Let's put it that yeah, way. So if he yeah. wasn't Jewish, he sure knew a lot about Judaism. Yeah, I think but that's either, true. Either way, most, most... Okay, so... It's an internal critique. So to go outside of it and then look at it and and then be anti-Semitic and, and be criti right. critical of Judaism is for a Christian to do that is inappropriate. Of course, yeah, especially when you realize Jesus was Jewish. Like, how can you 100%. be a Christian who's anti-Jewish? It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I mean, if Jesus came back today, he'd still be Jewish. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, and Christians the, need to realize that. Yeah, and actually, you made a point earlier too that I wanted to just talk about too. Cause again, anybody listening, you can go Google this, go look this up. Cause I, uh, I, I was trying to find it when you were talking, but I couldn't find the actual stat, but I know it's real. I know it's out there. Cause someone sent it to me a few years ago that someone, I think it might've been the Atlantic monthly. Um, anyway, it was some, anyway, someone had done a survey, um, of Trump followers in America and found that only something like 15% of them actually attended church on a regular basis. Although they identified as Christian. So that's what was really like you were, your comment about how like a lot of these people are listening to Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and uh, Glenn Beck more than they're listening to, you know, anything Jesus says. But that is proven. That is exactly right. These people, they identify themselves as Christians, but they do not attend church. They, they don't actually, they're not actually involved in, they're not, they're not active members of a local body of Christian believers. Um, and so, yes, they are self-identifying as Christian. They they believe, they think that what they're doing is is Christian, but they are really spending most of their time, most of their energy, most of their money uh, in these political groups, right? Listening to political voices, not to their pastor, not not to anyone else. They might be listening to Greg Locke, but um, other than him, I don't think they're. That's, that's they're not interesting, really but it motivated. but it does seem that a lot of the evangelical churches are one hundred percent Republican. Uh, and see, this is the thing. I think it's a spectrum, right? I mean, uh, I, on of one course, level, in a way. right? I mean, it would be. I agree. I think it would be really rare, depending on where you live, unless you're like in Vermont or something, or maybe Oregon or something. Um, but probably most of the states in the union, if you went to a Christian church there's a great chance that Christian church is going to be a conservative church. I mean, there are, there are more quote unquote liberal kind of denominations, right? Like, uh, but they're, but they're, maybe, or, yeah, but they're, if you go to their churches, there'll be like 20 people there. The, the UCC that I used yes. to go to in Chico, yeah. we had like 19 people, all of them were elderly <laughs> and, and then it shuttered its doors because it couldn't stay open. And so right. yeah, the UCC United church of Christ is, is historically pretty liberal. I mean, yeah. Our, our our pastor was openly gay, um, you know they they were very liberal in their but and then go to a mega church and they're all going to be conservative. 
There's not going to be, there's not going to be a, um, I mean, unless you get some of the celebrity pastors, uh, Nadia Bulls Weber is a t- type of celebrity, right. probably has a decent congregation, but you're not going to go to some of these openly affirming uh, mega churches that are right. doing anti-racism work. Right. And again, that's, uh, that's really the work that I think needs to be done. Um, you know, when I was, um, when I first joined Peace Catalyst and we were doing, I helped them launch this Peace Catalyst podcast. I'm no longer part of that anymore, but for the first, for the first year of that podcast, I helped get them started. And we, I think the first series that we did was focused on uh, racial uh, peacemaking within the Christian church. And we interviewed so many beautiful voices, people of color who are specifically trying to do that work on the local level of going into white churches and trying to, you know, move the needle a little bit in this direction, like to get get people thinking, to have conversations, to have them listen. One of, like, for example, one of the ones, what they were doing, uh, my friend Cleo, I think, was part of the group that was doing this. They were doing like a, a, a like a pulpit swap. Mm-hmm. So they would get a white white church and a white pastor in ones in a, in a city, and then they get a black church and, with a with a black pastor in the same city. They would first have those two pastors meet and talk and get to know each other, but then they would have a time set up where they would on one particular Sunday they would swap pulpits. So the black pastor would preach in the white church, the white pastor would preach in the black church, and in almost every case, when they did that, it was the first time someone of a different race had filled that pulpit in the history Mm. of that church. Mm. And um, so I just thought, man, that is so powerful. Like we need more of that kind of thing happening. Like if we want to say we want Christians to address this problem and respond to this problem, I think this is at least one of the really important ways that we could do it, right? Is that we need to start having black Christians and white Christians come together because look, if we can't bring peace within the Christian church itself, um, between uh, racially, if we can't bring uh, reconciliation racially in the Christian church in America, within Christians, we're not going to do it with the rest of you the have, country. You have no testimony. That's right. You you have. Um, That's right. No credibility. You know, no credibility. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I, I I hesitate to make my next point, but I'm going to make it anyway. <laughs> okay, I'm bracing myself. And this isn't a knock. On the people who listen to Heretic Happy Hour, I think it's just an observation that it's the hard work that we're not quite ready to do. Uh-huh. If you look at our downloads from our decolonizing series, yeah, they're significantly lower than our parable series, yeah, than our series before that. Yes, and I've tried to, you know, and and there, something could be said about the fact that you know the Rain Wilsons of the world are much more famous than the people we interviewed for our, or had on our guests for our decolonizing series. So the numbers are going to skew up when we interview someone who, you know, has a huge following and is a huge star. Yeah. But just looking at all of the episodes, our downloads are fine, but they're they're they've dipped during that series and I was thinking like I wonder if it's just because this is the hard work that we yeah. don't want to do. Yeah. It's hard to listen to an hour long conversation about how to decolonize our theology. Yeah. Because it's it's so embedded in how we view the world, we don't even realize the work that needs to be done yet, and and many aren't ready. And again, I'm just speculating on why that yeah. why that's the case. I, I, again, not a personal knock on anyone who listens to the show. Right. I've just noticed like they're they're down during that series. That yeah. you can you can see it. The, the numbers don't lie. The downloads are the downloads. I don't yeah. know the motivation behind it. I'm I, again, I'm just speculating at it. Right. No, and that that is a really great point, Matt. And I'm sad to to know that. Uh, I think that decolonizing series was our most important. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I I, I gotta <laughs> say, because again, I personally, um, look, I, I love the parable series. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, we right. talked about it, I, and that's why we're doing it again because it was so right. great, and I learned so much. But that decolonizing series was so important so necessary. The voices of the people that we were able to put to put a spotlight on to give them the entire show. Like they are yep. co-hosting the entire show. If anything, they're hosting yep. and we're listening and asking them. I, I talked very little. Uh, yeah. I, during that whole six, six I'd say we listening. had six episodes and they're all about an hour each. That's six hours. I probably talked for about 10 minutes of six hours, uh-huh. which yep. is the point. 
Yes. Yes. And hearing from um, these people who, again, it's not just, I, I think I can say this is true of everyone we talk to. Not only do they represent a, a stream of theology that most of us in the mainstream, even those of us who call ourselves progressive, are unfamiliar with, uh, they are also doing, uh, again, I think I can say this is true of all of them. They are all doing incredible work. Like talk about skin in the game. These right. people are taking it on the chin. They are, they're doing the hard work. They're getting, you know, beat up and, and, and criticized for the work that they're doing, but they, they're still doing it because they recognize how important it is to stand up and speak for these marginalized uh, groups of, of which they themselves are members. I mean, they're, they're speaking right. for their own group. But um, yeah, I think that decolonizing series was so important and because we, this whole decolonizing thing needs to happen. And of course that decolonizing in itself is something within the Christian church. Again, as we're saying, it's this, it's this work that Christians need to do in house, first of all, and we've got to be willing to do it. We've got to be willing to, to listen to one another, to have reconciliation within our own uh, faith or yeah, we have no hope of changing the world. We can't even we can't even change ourselves. We've gotten to such a place where you need to have a hot take. Yes. <laughs> and especially as people who have privilege, anyone who has any sort of privilege, it's like, oh, better get that hot take out. Yeah. Better better put that tweet out. Yeah. Better put that Instagram story up. And it's like I don't know. Maybe maybe that's why, you know, I'm not setting the fire setting the world on fire with my twitter following or my yeah, book sales yeah. but it's like yeah. i i don't know i'm of the belief like i don't need to have a hot take this isn't my lane how about i shut the fuck yeah. up for a second and yeah. just listen yeah there's nothing wrong with that and that's kind of like a lost art yes. shutting the fuck up. the lost art of shutting the fuck up that's the next book there you go write that down <laughs> jot that down yeah i think um i think so that's another interesting thing too like a lot of times when some of these things happen, not that it stopped me, I guess I should, <laughs> I should admit, you know, so like the abortion thing or this shooting, there was racially motivated shooting and, or the decolonizing stuff, you know, like, um, sometimes as a straight white male, I struggle with, should I, should I respond? Like, should I tweet something? Should I post, should I write right. a blog post? Will it, will it make a difference? Or is it just something like, oh, well, oh, look at me. I wrote a blog post. Uh, I did something. Because I really, really, I haven't done very much. And on one level, I guess I could say I haven't. But I think I'm, in, in many ways, that's the minimum I can do, right? To do a, mm -hmm. a podcast episode or do write a blog post, like at, at minimum. But, um, but I think the most important thing, at least on the social media level, isn't for you to have your own hot take, but it's to, like you said, listen to those who do have a, pl a place to speak from, who do know mm -hmm. what they're talking about, who do have a horse in the race. And promote them, right? Retweet the hell out of that stuff. Uh, yeah. I, like I did. Um, I haven't done this since. Um, I did. I did it twice. So I did it right after the the shootings at the Dylan Roof when he went and shot uh, the black people in the church. Yeah. Um, I turned over my blog for a week. Uh, I basically yeah. reached out to all my friends that were black, and I said, you know, I I I feel like there's things I want to say, but to be honest, I think we need to hear from black people about yeah. this. So. I turned over my blog for a week and I had several guest uh, bloggers who are people of color and they posted some beautiful things. And then I did it again. I'm trying to remember what shooting it was. It might've been the Philandro uh, shooting, but there's so many, I can't remember which one it was. Like there's one all the time, but I did, but I did it again. And so you know, like, that's, I feel like <sighs> at least that's something you can try to do, you know, give yeah, your but that's not a that's no, not exactly. a hot take, though. See, that's a well thought out, intentional. How do I be intentional about this? Hot takes yeah. are just like got to have an opinion, like in the next. 15 oh yeah, seconds. I try not to do that, especially not yeah. immediately after something, because my knee jerk yeah. reaction is probably not very Christ like. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, mine's rarely. Um, <laughs> like, fuck <laughs> these people. Um, which I, I do feel sometimes, like, like yeah, fuck, fuck, you know, fuck off. Um, but you know what I mean. Even beyond but, that, like. Uh, to get to what's really going to make some change, I think it is, I think it starts with listening. It starts with, you know, listening to other voices. It starts with promoting those voices and elevating them as much as you can. If you have 
a blog or a podcast or something like that, that you could do that and do that. Or you have, a, you have a social media following that, yeah, use that following to, to sh- spread those kind of positive messages as much as you can to bring um, understanding to a, to a, a, a topic or a situation. Um, but beyond that, like turn off the computer, shut everything down. You know, it's the grassroots level. It's like, we have to be able to try to actually do something, you know, uh, talk to people face to face, like be a part of something, donate to something. Um, because again, like that's why I feel like I've felt for the longest time, I just don't know how to get my hands around it, but I felt for the longest time, like that, that, uh, that racial reconciliation part of it within the Christian church is something I would love to see happen more. I mean, Peace Catalyst, that's kind of what they're doing. Um, trying to bring Christians and Muslims together. But I, I, I kind of feel like, at least at this point in, in American history, the uh, the Christian-Muslim divide isn't as... It's not front and center. It's not, yeah. It's not as important, at least within Christianity, as the racial divide. I feel like that right now is so awful. It's so destructive. And I feel like it's something that we've got to be able... To do, and I, at least I'm just saying, I would like to be able to do it if I could find a way to partner with other. If you're listening <laughs> and you're a person of color, and you're like Keith, I hear what you're saying. I want it. Let's do that. Then talk to me. Let's do that. I would. I would love to find a way um, to bring people of color and white Christians together uh, for for these kinds of ways of bringing reconciliation within the church. Because I think that's the only thing that I can see that's going to change some of this. I think. I think all of us have our calling to do something and it doesn't always have to be some huge thing it, you right. gotta like you said you can only we can only we're only one person right each right. individual one of us yeah uh, but you have to be intentional like if 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 uh if you know actually you don't not even if you know go research black owned business right yeah and whatever you buy look yes. at where you get it from and see how you can divert your dollars to a black owned business that's a great idea yeah, I like that. Um, you know, this whole thing about like if you like when I, I, I got a bunch of people together for um, and I'll never do it again to contribute to a book I'm editing. It's like herding cats a little bit. <laughs> no knock on any individual, but it's just like, man, you get 15 oh. people together to try to do something. Fuck. Oh, yeah. Um, but I was intentional about let's I, I want diverse voices. I want Asian yeah. Hispanic, Latino, black, yeah, gay and straight, yeah. gay, straight, all, all of it, because they're going to see things that other people don't. And so That's get, right. the, get them together, give them a, not even give them a platform. They already have their platforms, right. but, but invite them into my platform and let's merge yeah. this and, and show that not only model how people of diverse backgrounds get together and do something, yeah, but maybe you'll gain some insights from a perspective that you don't know much about. Like I didn't, I didn't grow up around a lot of, um, I was in San Jose in the Bay area, but not a lot of my friends were Asian American. That's so right. Yeah. There were a, a lot of black and a lot of, uh, Hispanic and white, but in, in our neighborhood, particularly it was mainly, uh, white, black and Hispanic. So I, you know, so getting that perspective is not something that you are accustomed to. It's not like, it's not like you shun people you just like you're it's just not people you're close in proximity with right so go out of your way yes. to be to learn about that like so i i think a, a lot of intentionality has to be done in whatever way possible you know if if you like serve your local food bank you know yep. chances are people people of color have a higher poverty rate and are going to be using those services more often right. because of systemic racism and how this country was built and it never really went away a hundred percent, you know? Right. So when you, when you donate to your food bank or where you work at a food bank or you work with the homeless, you're generally right. going to be working with populations who are on the margins. Generally those are black and brown people, LGBTQ people. So do the work. Like you just said, grassroots, turn your fucking computer off after you stop listening to the podcast. Listen to this whole podcast, please. But of course, <laughs> of course do that first yes. and then go do, do the actual work. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, and I think, yes, education is a huge part of it. Understanding is a huge part of it. Um, man, I got to tell you, there's a lot of, a lot of white Christians who are, have a huge blind spot in this area. Um, I, I posted some things on Facebook, even just this past week 
uh, about racism, about, you know, this kind of stuff. And I get comments from some of my white Christian followers who are so oblivious to their own white privilege and racism. And I'm like, can you hear yourself? Do you not see what you're doing? Where they're, where they're subtly defending, you know, they're, they're not directly defending, um, like this shooter, you know, um, mm-hmm. but they will, but, but as a white person, they'll say as a white Christian male, they'll say things like, you know, yes, but you know, they are, uh, they are taking our jobs and yes, they do get free education that we don't get. And like, and like, dude, stop. What are you, what are you doing? Listen to yourself. <laughs> like, um, I don't know, man. I just, I, I see it out there on these, it's on different levels, right? See, that would be a very low level sort of way of like, you're, you're, you're just, you're clueless. You don't, you don't know what you don't know. And the more you can understand things like white privilege, the more you, more you can understand the history of this nation, uh, the more you can listen to people of color and understand the struggle that they have had in the past, but it's not a thing of the past. It is still going on. The systemic um, racism is still going on. It doesn't mean yeah. that, oh, well, I'm white and I'm poor and I've, I had I suffered just as much as they did. Yes, but right. see, if you were white and you were suffering because you were economically disadvantaged, the, the difference is you didn't have on top of that uh, disadvantages because of your race. Right. So, yes, maybe... You could say, because you were white, but you were economically disadvantaged, you know what it feels like. Yeah, no, you don't. Because you didn't also have to struggle with the fact that the color of your skin meant that you were treated differently because of that. And again, that's just white people not understanding that. Um, It's just not understanding what white privilege really is and not really seeing, understanding the ways in which we we have created intentionally a culture that favors white people in ways that it does not and will never, at least unless things change, favor people of color. Yeah, it with regards to blind spots, we all have them and you and I sure. probably continue to have them, sure, but it takes the work to continue to look at those blind spots. You have right. to keep checking your blind spots. Yeah, I'm trying and, to. And I'm trying to. <laughs> well, that's all you can do. Right. That's, that's all you can do. None of us, you know, none of us are perfect. We, we should not be graded on 100%. Right. But I understand I understand people who don't have patience for 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 white people who don't get it right all the time. Like I understand that like like yeah, you shouldn't have to tolerate bullshit. Right. You know, because you're probably tired, you know. So I, I get I get both perspectives, you know, but all, all we can do uh is, is try. All we can do is continue to be introspective and continue to look and ask ourselves the questions like where am I being? Uh, where am I not using the privilege that I have correctly? Right. Because, you, you know, most of us have some sort of privilege in some area, right? Even right. as an LGBTQ person, I sure. have privilege because I'm married to a woman. So yeah. if you see me walking down the street, you're not going to think that guy's a gay and right. we need to, you know, so he's, you're going to think I'm straight. So I have privilege even within LGBTQ, you know, parameters. Right, right. So how do I use that correctly? Because it's there. Let's just acknowledge it's there and then use it correctly for good and not just, oh, no, I don't have it because I've struggled too. And I grew up poor. And and, and so it's like, okay, but you still, I still have privilege. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, I think you're right, man. It's totally true. Like, it it really is just sort of a posture of the heart. Like, I think you would have to begin by saying, look, even if you don't think you are racist, even if you don't think you have privilege, you know, you know, at least begin by saying, I don't want to be somebody who, who is racist. I don't want to be someone who is, who's blind to my privilege. And so I'm going to therefore hold out the possibility that there, I might be in ways that I don't see, I might have a blind spot. And if I do, if I do have a blind spot, even if I don't think I do, but if I, but if, but in the case that I do possibly have a blind spot, I want someone to point it out to me and I want to change it. So if you would at least get move move to that space on the board, say, yeah. I don't think I do, but I but if I did, I wouldn't want to and I would want someone to tell me so I could change it. Good. Now you at least can begin 
to be open to the possibility. Now go and go and do some research, go and listen to some other people who aren't like you and listen to them talk about this and find out the ways that maybe you really are and be then be willing to change it. Yeah. Well, have we solved it? I think we did. Check that box. We solved it. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) And we want to thank the fine people at snip tip for uh, helping us to do this. Thank you for supporting. Let's, Let's not forget them. Yes, that's right. I will t- I will say what last thing um mentioning buying black I was um I forget I forget the name of the show where Killer Mike and LP the dudes who make up run the jewels Oh I love those guys They did an episode on oh, buying yes. black yes. You remember that? No go ahead I, was, I think I saw yeah, it Yeah 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 so Killer Mike <laughs> they're at they're at a barbecue place Yes. It's a funny it's the funniest clip It's just the look on Killer Mike's face like they're at a you know a black owned barbecue place and he's eating it and he, he he's doing a whole like I think he was doing a whole three days of buying black right and then he LP's like so this is from like a black owned farm right <laughs> and the, Killer Mike just the look on his face like fuck <laughs> I mean, so it's he, not he call he calls over the <laughs> chef and he's like no this you know it's from so he just he just packages it up right <laughs> he doesn't even take another <laughs> bite and LP's just like. Yes, it's licking so his good. fingers like oh, that's just some good barbecue. <laughs> it's uh, hard. It's hard to. It's hard to you know, exactly it's difficult work. So again, going back to our, you know, what we it's difficult work, and some of us we don't have the energy or the time to do it, right? So, right. But you got to carve it out, and yeah. you got to do the work because it's right in front of us. It ain't going to go away. That's right. Yeah. All right, man. Well, this has been great. All right. Well, I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you out there. Yep. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks. Yes, please rate and review. Yep. Five stars. Five stars, you motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs>